Now, if you would open up to Isaiah chapter 9, I'm going to read for us uh, verses 1 through 7. And if you are physically able, would you please stand as I read aloud Isaiah chapter 9, verses 1 through 7. This is what the word of God says. But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the trampling tramping warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born. And to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness, from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Father in heaven, we ask that you would add your blessing to the reading and the preaching and the hearing of your word this day so that we might be changed and bring glory to you. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Advent is more than just counting down the days until Christmas. There are calendars for that. There are apps for that. There's even candies for that. That's fun, but Advent is more. And our family does all that stuff. We love counting down the days until Christmas. We have little candies and stuff. It's a great thing. I'm not, I'm not coming down on that. I'm just saying Advent is not only that. It is more than that. Advent is an opportunity for us to do two things in particular that many of us probably don't do enough, both of which begin with the letter W. And the first is wonder. I'm convinced that today we wonder a lot less than we did in days gone by. And that's not saying, oh, way, way, way back in the old days. Wait, wait, I'm talking like 12 years ago, right? I'm, I'm saying we don't wonder as much as we do now as we did then. I'm thinking about even when I was a kid, when I was some of my kids' ages. Um, so in, in my, where my mom lives, where I grew up, it's an apartment development where there's probably 25 or 30 apartment buildings that seen one, seen them all. Red brick. Uh, six stories each, 12 apartments on each floor. 6F in this apartment building looks the same as 6F in that apartment building. So it's the same exact thing. Where we lived in particular in New York City, there was uh, the streets came together like a horseshoe. So you had a, there were three streets, 162nd Street, 160th Street, which met over here in 161st Street. You with me? You seeing this? Okay, so we lived on the outside of this horseshoe. There were five buildings around the horseshoe. And in the back of it was a parking lot, garages, and a playground. 
And that playground is where we grew up skinning our knees. And this was playgrounds. Do you remember when playgrounds were less safe but more fun? Does anybody remember that? Where they were just, they, 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 there was like, there was the slides that were really high and got really, really hot in the, in the, in the, uh, the, the summer because they were metallic. And we would some, we'd have to go and we didn't have a pool. We had this sprinkler, which really was a shower. It was, but, and we would fill it up with a bucket and kind of wet the slide and then slide down and fall on concrete. There wasn't, there wasn't rubber padding. It was concrete. The, the, the swings had, were wooden. Do any of you remember wooden swings? They weren't, none of this rubber stuff, good, some of you do, wooden. And we would just, we would swing on them. And they were kind of like trapeze. And we would jump off them. And that's how we rolled. That's how we tuck and rolled. I mean, that's just, that's just how we, we lived life. And in, the, in this park, there was one thing in particular that we called the web. Try and picture this. It's basically a cube, okay? On one side was wooden slats that you can climb up. On the two other, on two other sides, there was um, kind of like metal, I don't know, it's like a little wall, but it was metallic, and you could climb, not a climbing wall, you just climbed up this thing to the top. And then on the back side, so opposite the wood, was this chain ladder, and there was wood, uh, wood, no, there was rubber wrapped around the chain links, you feeling me? So that we would climb up it to the top, where there was a web of chain uh, like crisscross in chains, and it was a web, and they were covered with rubber. So can you kind of picture this, what I'm talking about? Climb up to the top, and then we would just sit up there, and we would, we would talk. Because it doesn't take a ton of, I mean, it takes like six seconds to climb the thing, right? I mean, it's not that tall. So you get up there, and then you would climb up there, and you would just chill, and you would just talk. And I remember just sitting up there with my friends talking about basically to some, for most of the time, it was like five topics. It was like sports, girls, jokes, girls, and sports. That, that's pretty much what, what we covered while we were up there. Um, but every once in a while, someone would introduce a new, a new topic of some sort and would say, I wonder how hot the sun is. And they're like, dude, the sun's so hot. Think of how hot it is down here right now. It's got to be really, really hot up there. It's like, I know. Bro, I think if the sun, if like, I think if the earth was, I, somebody told me if the earth was like, just a little closer, like just feet closer to the sun, that like our faces would melt off. And someone's like, that's ridiculous because you can climb closer to the sun. No, I don't mean if you climb closer. I mean, if the whole earth was closer, your face would melt off. I don't think faces even can melt off. I think they would just kind of melt. Like my dad says that it's hotter than lava. I think your dad's wrong. Don't talk about my dad. You know, these conversations going back and forth. But you know what we were doing? Wondering. We didn't have information. We were just wondering, just talking, thinking, imagining, talking about things, wondering as we just did as kids, wondering things. And it was just fun. And sometimes you would find out the answers and sometimes you wouldn't, but it was still fun. And if you wanted to really find out the answers, you had to go to the library and look it up in an encyclopedia. Right. So you just, if you think about the time from the web to the library, and you had to ask your mom to take you to the library, so there's probably a day in between there at least, you would do what? Wonder. You would just wonder, and you might talk around other people, and you might just wonder. I don't think we wonder as much as we used to. We just don't wonder because we, we can know, right? There's not a lot of reason to wonder. Like, how hot is the sun? The surface temperature of sun is 5,777 Kelvin. So now what do you want to talk about? <laughs> right? We just, don't, we just don't wonder as much. We, we know. 
And, and it's cool, right? Like, but we, we have these devices, and I'm not, this is not a call for us to all place our phones in a big pile and we burn them and sing Yay Advent or something like that. That's not what I'm, that's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying it's cool that we have the ability to know. I'm glad. I feel like something's also been lost, though, in, in that. And I'm not smart enough to put my finger on exactly what it is, but all I know is it's different now. I think we have, in many ways, lost our sense of wonder because we wonder for a little bit and then know a lot. We wonder for a little bit and then just know. We just look it up. We don't really think, imagine, laugh. We just wonder for a little bit and we have the ability to know. Who wants to wonder when you can know? Who wants to theorize when you can know? Why hypothesize when facts are readily available and accessible? And so we don't wonder nearly as much. Advent invites us to be pensive, not passive, pensive, right, about the season in which we're in, thinking about what it must have been like to wonder. Because there was a lot of wondering and very little Google in the Old Testament. There was a lot of wondering, when will God deliver his people? When will God make things right? When will God's promises be fulfilled? And friends, quite frankly, no matter how advanced our smartphones and tablets become, at the end of the day, we do well to wonder those same things, even on this side of the cross. When will God deliver his people? When will God make things right? When will God's word be fulfilled in totality? Advent is a time when we ought to not hypothesize, but wonder, and wonder with a smile. Wonder with a smile, because we're not wondering like the world wonders, will these things happen? We know they will happen. We're not wondering how they will turn out. We know they will turn out for our good and for our glory, but just wondering when, wondering exactly how, what will it look like? How will God bring these things about? Wow, I wonder when. I wonder how it's going to be, but it is going to be as he said it will be, and so we wonder. And part of the reason we don't wonder is because there's something else we don't do that also begins with W, and that is wait. We don't wonder and we don't wait. And Advent is an invitation for us to look at the days ahead, the days between now and Christmas, and focus our time and our attention and our affections on waiting as we look forward with great anticipation to celebrating the birth of the Christ child. And perhaps you say, okay, so we're waiting. Why is that a big deal? Like, I feel like I'm going to wait whether I put effort towards it or not because the clock is ticking. And there's, you know, today is December 4th. And this year, I think Christmas is on the 25th. So we're going to be waiting between now and then whether we like it or not. We don't have to think about it or put effort towards it. Um, It's going to happen. I'm just going to sit back and wait. Well, here's the thing. My life is lived by and sometimes driven by my calendar. And as I typed that out uh, in my sermon notes, I didn't know if I was just typing out a fact or actually a confession, but that's something separate. But my life is lived by and sometimes driven by my calendar. I'm sure many of you are the same way. If it's in the calendar, it's going to happen. If it's not, it's probably not going to happen. And it's a helpful tool, but oftentimes I wonder, and tell me if this has ever crossed your mind, you can just nod. Sometimes I often wonder if the tail is wagging the dog. Am I using it or is this thing using me. You know what I'm talking about? Like this calendar is so helpful and it's such a helpful tool, but man, sometimes I can feel rather enslaved to it. And there's not a lot of weight in my calendar. There's a lot of do. If you look at the calendar, my calendar between now and Christmas, there's not a lot of weight in there. There's actually a lot to do, places to go, people to see, things to not wait, but things to do. 
And Advent is supposed to encourage us to do something we don't typically do, and that is wait. It is what I'm referring to as a pensive pause. Not a passive pause, but a pensive pause as we wait and think intentionally, not just letting these days go by. Yeah, 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 the 25th is coming. Yeah, 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 Christmas is coming. But intentionally using this time to say, what would the Lord have me focus on as I, as I try to turn my attention and my affections toward the birth of Jesus Christ? So we read Isaiah 9 earlier today. Isaiah 9 comes to us rather appropriately after Isaiah 1 through 8. And we didn't read those eight chapters, but do you know what's in them? Let me tell you this. something. <laughs> they sound radically different from the text I read to you uh, before. They're radically different. The first eight chapters are radically different from Isaiah chapter 9 because it's not as happy and it's not unto us a child is born. The first eight chapters of Isaiah contain warnings from the prophet that God, very God, was not so much going to send them a savior, but was going to, listen, take away their food, take away their water, and allow their enemies to triumph over them. Merry Christmas. That's Isaiah 1 through 8. That God was going to take away food, water, and allow their enemies to triumph over them. Let me read to you some excerpts. We, we, surely we're not going to read all eight chapters. But I'm just going to read to you some excerpts from Isaiah, th- those earlier chapters. So I'm going to start in Isaiah 1 and verse 4. Ah, sinful nation, a people laden with iniquity, offspring of evildoers, children who deal corruptly. They have forsaken the Lord. They have despised the Holy One of Israel. They are utterly estranged. Why will you be struck down? Why will you continue to rebel? The whole head is sick and the whole heart is faint. From the sole of the foot, even to the head, there is no soundness in it, but bruises and sores and raw wounds. They are not pressed out or bound up or softened with oil. Verse 11 says, what to me is the multitude of your sacrifices, says the Lord. This is the Lord talking to religious people. You understand that? Talking to his people, saying, what to me is the multitude of your sacrifices? I've had enough of burnt offerings of rams and the fat of well-fed beasts. I do not delight in the blood of bulls or of lambs or of goats. Isaiah 2, verse 6 For you have rejected your people, the house of Jacob, because they are full of things from the east and of fortune tellers like the Philistines, and they strike hands with the children of foreigners. Just a little more judgment in case we're feeling at all happy. Isaiah chapter 3, verse 1. For behold, the Lord God of hosts is taking away from, here it is, taking away from Jerusalem and from Judah support and supply, all support of bread and all support of water, the mighty man and the soldier, the judge and the prophet, the diviner and the elder, the captain of 50 and the man of rank, the counselor and the skillful magician and the expert in charms. And I will make boys their princes and infants shall rule over them. And the people will oppress one another, everyone his fellow and everyone his neighbor. The youth will be insolent to the elder and the despised to the honorable. Merry Christmas. Fa la 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 la, la 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 la. I could go on. It's judgment, 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 and quite frankly, rightfully so. I mean, if you know anything about, uh, let's, let's put it, let's start here, right? If you know anything about your own heart, if you know anything about humanity in general, and if you know anything about the people of God, as you read through the old Testament, you know, they had it coming. So the judgment that the Lord is pronouncing is not because the Lord is in a bad mood. 
It's not because the Lord has just decided to exercise his wrath. People warranted this judgment. But in Isaiah 6, where Isaiah, it's a more familiar passage, Isaiah sees the Lord seated on his throne, the train of his robe fills the temple with glory. In Isaiah 6, we see a glimmer of hope. It's literally buried in judgment, like on either side. If you read too fast, you'll miss it. In Isaiah 6, verse 14, maybe you want to, maybe you want to turn there. Isaiah chapter 6 and verse 14, you see this little glimmer of hope. And it says this, Isaiah 6 and verse 14. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Then he gets right back into judgment. (laughs) He does. He goes right from that, just back. He's like, but seriously. And then he gets back into judgment, talking about the judgment that it will fall upon the people. But I want you to see that. It's similar to what we discussed uh, a a, a few weeks ago, that even in the midst of trial, even in the midst of adversity, even in the midst of, of terrible situations, there is hope. Flip over to Isaiah 8 and verse 17. Because he gets right back into judgment. But I want you to see what Isaiah has to say about this. Now think about Isaiah, okay? Isaiah is the prophet of the Lord. Isaiah is being given the message from the Lord and he's giving it to the people. Okay, so Isaiah, is go- he's hearing from God, telling the people. Hearing from God, telling the people over and over and over again. And you could just see Isaiah, want, like maybe there'll be a good word for the people. Nope, not this time. I'm gonna take away their bread. All right, he's gonna take away the bread. Maybe there'll be a good word for, nope, I'm also gonna take away their, uh, the, the leaders of their armies. <sighs> All right, taking away the armies too. Taking away the leaders. All right. Maybe a good word. No, water. No water. Like, like just back and forth, back and forth. If anyone would be kind of down on the Lord a little, would it not be Isaiah? Right? Just be like, you know what? I just, I can't. I, I can't. This is probably very taxing. I'm not saying Isaiah never got that way. I think because he was a human being, he probably did at times. I think that's a fair assessment and a fair assumption to make. But look at what he has to say in Isaiah chapter 8 and verse 17. Amidst all of these things that are happening, he says, I will wait for the Lord who is hiding his face from the house of Jacob, and I will hope in him. Here's Isaiah, and what does he see? Well, if you read the first eight chapters of Isaiah, you could see what he sees and what he, t- what he told people. What he saw and what he told people. What he heard and what he told people. And it's hard and it's devastating and it's judgment and it's all 100% just and right and deserved. And Isaiah says he will wait for the Lord. He will wait for the Lord. What situation or circumstance does God have you in right now that you can't even see the end of? But you know God would have you wait. Why? Because there's really nothing else you can do. And we can passively wait. Or we can, we can actively wait and actively wonder about what the Lord is doing in our lives. Not knowing the answers. But knowing that God is good. We can wait and wonder with a smile. Without being able to Google it. We can wait And wonder about what the Lord is doing in our lives. And smile not because of the circumstances we're in. 
Not because we love suffering. We actually hate suffering. Every one of us would admit we hate suffering. But we know God is good. We know God is in control. We can wait and wonder with a smile. Isaiah was doing the same thing because he didn't say, I will wait for the Lord because I'm seeing a good thing here. He, no, he, he, he says, I will wait for the Lord. What does he say in verse 17? I will wait for the Lord who is hiding his face from the house of Jacob. <laughs> He's not saying, I will wait for the Lord because I think I saw him grin. No, I will wait for the Lord who is doing this. He's not even looking at his people. He's not even looking at the house of Jacob. All he's doing is pronouncing judgment and giving them the cold shoulder. And he says, I will wait for the Lord who is hiding his face from the house of Jacob. And I will hope in him. Isaiah says he'll wait for the Lord who's currently hiding his face. It's like Isaiah saying, I don't, I don't see God. God is hiding his face, but I'm waiting for him. I'm waiting. He's good. He's terribly angry as well he should be. We deserve judgment, but he won't be angry forever. And so I'm waiting and I'm wondering and I do it with a little bit of a smile because I know God is good and I know that his anger lasts but for a moment. And that joy comes in the morning, that weeping. We might weep now for a little bit, but joy comes in the, in the morning and that his favor lasts a lifetime. Advent reminds us to wait and wonder and that there is hope. Christmas means there's hope for us who could never have peace with God apart from Christ. Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 2 says this, The people who walked in darkness have what? Seen a great light. That those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them light has shone. That's what we see all throughout the scriptures. We see fallen man... God's judgment, condemnation, God's wrath, not just on the worldly people, not just on the people who are outside of God's family, God's wrath, God's judgment on people who claim to love him, who claim to believe in him, who claim to, who do all these religious things. God judges them and he gives them over to judgment to their enemies because these people acknowledge God with their lips, but their hearts are far from him. Matthew 15 and verse eight, Jesus said that and he quoted Isaiah, by the way. But we don't only see judgment, we see a lot of it, but we also see hope. Now, it's a dangerous thing to pattern God. It's a dangerous thing. Like, God doesn't trend. You know what I mean? He's not, God is trending mercifully today. He, he doesn't, we don't forecast God. We don't pattern God. In fact, most times when people have tried to pattern God and figure out certain dates and certain times, not most times, every time, they're wrong right? Every time. When people try to pattern God and kind of treat God like the weather and say, let's go to the map, when I think God would have us just go to the window and go to his word. But when, when, when people try to go, oh, well, let's, I think God's going to probably do this, and then he's going to do that and move it over here, they are wrong, like 10 times out of 10. We don't want to pattern God. Uh, Paul says rightly in 1 Corinthians 2, who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him, also quoting Isaiah. I, I don't want to pattern God. He doesn't trend we can't forecast him, but he does keep his promises, doesn't he? He does have consistent character, doesn't he? And he does what he does because it glorifies him. And you know how God has glorified himself from the get-go? By from the get-go, I mean by, by from Genesis. By always, always saying, there is hope. Always saying there is hope. 
Genesis 3, you have the fall of man, which we won't go and look at today, but I'll try, I, if you read Genesis 3, you can see where mankind fell. As a result of Adam's sin, all of us are sinners by nature and therefore sinners by choice. And God pronounces judgment on the serpent, on uh, man, on, on Eve, that she will still have the uh, beauty of being able to uh, bear children, but it's going to be painful and it's going to be hard, and that man will still have the honor of working, but God has cursed the ground, so it's going to be hard, and he's going to have to do so by the sweat of his brow, pronounces judgment, 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 but in that judgment also says what? That through Eve, the Savior will come. There is hope. And then he's going to kick them out of the garden, but you know what he does before that, like a good dad? Take those leaves off. They've got to itch. Come here. I'm going to make you some clothes. He makes them clothes out of animal skin, like a good dad. Even in the midst of judgment, hope. Even in the midst of judgment, peace. One chapter later, Genesis 4, we read that Ain, uh, Ain, Ain. Eve bore Cain and Abel. Cain kills Abel. God judges Cain. Cain says, this punishment is too much for me. And God doesn't say, well, you made your bed, now sleep in it. What does God do? Puts a mark on him and says, you're going to wander around this earth like a vagabond, but I'll make sure somebody doesn't kill you. Hope. Hope. Just a few chapters later, God looks upon mankind and says that he regrets having created them. And so he decides to wipe them out with a flood of catastrophic proportions, a worldwide flood, but he doesn't wipe them all out. He saves Noah and his family. And he doesn't, he does that so that mankind could go on. No, he doesn't. He does it so that he could fulfill his promise because the Savior needed to come. So he saved a portion of people, a very, very, very small portion of people, and wiped out the rest of them. There is hope. Lots of judgment, but there's hope. And friends, I've just gotten nine chapters into the Bible. There's 1,180 more chapters where you could see a similar pattern of judgment but promise, condemnation but hope, judgment and hope where God glorifies himself by giving us hope. And friends, it's, it's, it's amazing as you see this redemptive arc woven throughout the scriptures. There's hope in Jesus Christ. Romans 5 says, therefore, since we have been justified with faith, by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Christmas reminds us that there is hope for us who could never have peace with God apart from Jesus Christ. Christmas also means there's hope for us to rejoice in our sufferings. Again, look at Isaiah 8 and verse 17. Isaiah says, I will wait for the Lord who is hiding his face from the house of Jacob. That's the God of whom I hope in. I will hope in him, the guy who's judging us, the guy who won't even look at us. I'm with him. Isaiah knows the character of God. Isaiah knows that God will be faithful to his promises. He will be faithful to do what he said he'd do. He knows the truth of Psalm 30 and verse 5, which we mentioned before, that his anger is but for a moment, but his favor is for a lifetime. That weeping may tarry for the night, but that joy comes in the morning. He knows that although he's hiding his face from his people, the house of Jacob, at the end of the day, they're still what? They're still his people. Therefore, he can confidently say that since his anger lasts but for a moment, his favor lasts a lifetime, there is certainly hope. And we see that in Romans 5, verses 3 and 4. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. There it is again. Not for, but in 
our sufferings. That even though I'm going through a time of suffering, of great trial, I can rejoice in it. Not for it, but I can rejoice in it. Why? Because God is at work. We know we're being made, if you look at Romans 5, which is in your outline, verses 3 and 4, we know we're being made stronger, that God is giving us the endurance we need, and that as a result, our character is being strengthened, and character reminds us that there is hope. And when endurance produces character, and character produces hope. Therefore, we can confidently say that, uh, or Isaiah can confidently say that his anger lasts for a moment, but his favor lasts a lifetime. Is there something in which you are suffering through that God says there is hope? Is there something that you find yourself suffering through in this very day and age that perhaps you could rejoice not for, but in? Not for, but during. Because you know that God is producing within you character and strength and hope. Hope. And Christmas means that there is hope, certain hope that we will not be put to shame, but have been accepted by God because of Jesus Christ. Romans 5, verses 5 and 6 says, and hope does not put us to shame. Some people really, really hope uh, for certain outcomes in life. Cleveland Indian fans had a lot of hope. A lot of hope. For years and years and years, Mets fans have a lot of hope. We have been put to shame. But in recent days, not so much. People had a lot of, I don't know if you, maybe you have forgotten. It's been a couple of weeks. We had an election, maybe you recall. We had an election recently. People had a lot of hope that it would go one way or another way, or maybe altogether a third way or a completely different way. Some people got what they were hoping for. Some people's were disappointed. Maybe their hope put them to shame. Yeah, we're going to do it. We're going to do it. We're going to do it. We didn't do it. Cleveland Indians, we're going to do it. We're going to do it. We're going to do it. We didn't do it. Any team, any outcome, how many times have you hoped for something and been on the losing side of something? Ah, it didn't work out that way. See, we need to talk about this because that's not the hope that's presented in the scriptures. We use hope in our vernacular in our day and age. We talk about like, oh, I I hope something's going to happen but it could go either way, right? Hope just kind of expresses the intent of our hearts, but there's no guarantee. You know, it's like we're rolling a dice and we hope it lands on number two, but there's a one in six shot. So I hope it lands on two, ah, four. Hope it lands on two, two. So hoping doesn't really guarantee anything. But see, Romans 5 verse 5 says, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. And I included in your outline a, a quote excuse me, by John Piper, who says this, biblical hope is not a mere desire for something good to happen. That's how we're typically used to using using the term hope. Oh, I hope my team wins. Oh, I I hope I get this job. Oh, I hope I I get good grades. Oh, I hope, I I hope, I hope, I hope we can get married. I hope this. It's it's stuff that we're, we're hoping for something hopefully good to happen. Biblical hope, John Piper says, is not a mere desire for something good to happen. It is a confident expectation and desire for something good in the future. A confident expectation and desire for something good. That's the hope that we have. When we say there's hope, we're not saying, here's hoping. We're saying, there's hope. Big difference. Here's hoping. There's hope. 
When we speak about hope from a biblical perspective, we speak with certainty. We speak with confidence. We don't know the details, but we can wait and wonder with a smile because we know that God is in control. We hope with confidence. We don't know the timing. We don't know exactly how. We don't know the circumstances. But our hope is in the Lord who knows all of those things and has never let us down. The quote goes on to say, when the word says hope in God, it doesn't mean cross your fingers. It means to use the words of William Carey, expect great things from God. And that's why we read things like in Romans chapter 8 about waiting eagerly. We wait eagerly for adoption as sons. We wait, we wait with this anticipation, not I really hope, it's I have hope. It's going to happen. I hope it happens soon, but it's going to happen. Whenever it happens, it's going to rock. God's going to win. He's on his throne and I'm on his team. And that's how we wait with wonder. We don't wait like the world waits. We don't hope like the world hopes. We wait with a confident expectation and a desire for God to do his thing. 